Many growth stage companies are in the thick of strategic planning. That involves building a revenue plan to show how you'll grow from X million in ARR to say 2X or 3X million. When your revenue base is already significant, doubling that base can feel daunting. How do you build conviction in your revenue plan? And how do you build that conviction in spite of the macroeconomic uncertainty? These questions were at the heart of my conversation with Marcus Bragg, COO at Netlify. Netlify was named to the Forbes Cloud 100 list of the world's top private cloud companies. In this discussion, we cover questions such as, what does a strong revenue waterfall look like? How do you translate a revenue plan into a plan for expanding your go-to-market team? And how do you incorporate riskier bets into the plan? You can listen to the podcast or read the lightly edited transcript. Let's dive in. Marcus, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today to talk about growth endurance. I'm super excited to get your perspective. Allison, thanks for having me here. Excited to be here. To start us off, can you talk a little bit about your role as well as your company, what it does, the product, and maybe a bit about the go-to-market context for it? Yeah, happy to. Uh, Marcus Bragg, I'm the COO at Netlify. We are in the web development space. We are making it easier and faster for companies to build modern sites, stores, and apps. And uh, it's been an exciting time in this market, in the, in the pro-code world. So happy to be here. At the time of this conversation, we're just before Thanksgiving, sort of like you know, mid to late November, and many companies are in the thick of their strategic planning process right now. I know you guys are in the thick of it. Strategic planning is obviously a process that's very relevant for ensuring growth endurance, right? Like you're trying to make sure that you can grow fast on an already large ARR base. Netlify is a pretty large company. So I'd love to hear to start off, how are you thinking about strategic planning and making sure that the organization is set up to grow fast next year? A great question. It's always fun right now uh, when a company's in their Q4, uh, you're yeah. finishing for a strong end of year. And then at the same point, you're uh, deep into you know, planning the new exciting levers uh, of growth uh, in the following year. So yeah. And as you think about growth endurance, how do you continue that? You know, if you look at... Um, you know, much of the uh, growth endurance that uh, Mary talks about, and there's kind of some classical 30% reductions, you know, year on from where you're at. And as most of us uh, in the SaaS space, we're always trying to accelerate growth. So you're always trying to balance those two things with how do you build a strong base plan uh, that will set you up for success and, and be realistic. But then uh, we're also trying to look at how do you set stretch plans that, uh, you know, are based on based on some fact and based on some known unknowns that are new initiatives that you're also going to try uh, in addition to what's working. So that's what we're spending a lot of time on. You know, what are the known knowns? What are the known unknowns? You know, how can we take what's, you know, at a high level, you know, working in one market? Um, you know, is it time to enter, uh, enter a new market with those new business tactics? You know, we're constantly looking to better understand our customer, the segments that we're playing in and engaging in. Uh, we're always looking at, uh, certainly in our space, we have a big partner ecosystem since we're a, we're a platform for web developers to connect, build, and run their modern sites. So, you know, when a front-end developer and a marketing team or an e-commerce team go to use us, they're connecting a CMS vendor. They're connecting an observability tool. They're connecting their CRM. And so uh, we also truly try to look at how can we 
really align better with partners and then the agencies that do that transformation. So those are, um, you know, some of the initial topics we're diving into around, you know, how do we acquire more customers? How do we protect the customers we have? How do we expand? How do we cross-sell? Where do all those opportunities lie? To get into the the mechanics of all this at a really granular level, because I know people really appreciate when we're all offering really specific, actionable advice. But let's say that we're at, y'all are bigger than this, but let's say we're at, you know, 30 million in ARR and we're trying to double to 60 million in ARR. I often see it where companies create basically a revenue waterfall where like they're creating a bridge from 30 to 60 million. And there are different components in this waterfall chart stemming from different places. So I'd love to hear, are you constructing that kind of revenue waterfall as part of your strategic planning process? And how do you get conviction about where the components of your revenue waterfall are coming from? For us, it's, yeah, what are those levers of growth? Like, what are those, you know, and you're getting those, you've usually got four or five that are, again, these known knowns, and then you're building out another five to 10 that are known unknowns. And you're looking, uh, for us, we're trying to get conviction on, okay, you know, what are the products and services that we know are selling today? Uh, where are we seeing a repeatable pattern? And, you know, then really starting, and certainly if you're in that 30, you're starting to get an understanding of initial segments. You're getting an understanding of your selling motion. Is it direct or indirect? Is it PLG bottoms up or is it enterprise tops down? And so first understanding in, in those levers, which ones are working today? Uh, that you can really double click on either from a sales and marketing perspective to say, ah, we've got a repeatable motion here of which we can go add, you know, more funnel to, we can add more reps to. on the account management side. You know, we're actually starting to see great expansion rates on a use case or on a product set. And then maybe we want to create repeatable growth by making territory smaller and adding more, you know, reps as part of that. Or maybe it's adding more services with professional services or customer success managers, you know, that are increasing your renewal rates and your expansion rates. Doesn't always have to be more reps. It can, you know, be other resources that drive more success as part of that too. And then as we start really getting into, okay, what's product and edge coming up with next year? Where are their big bets? Right. And, you know, what do we really think as you're finishing the year and launching the new part of the year that are really new product initiatives that we can put strong conviction behind and start creating some additional growth levers as we're going into that. So you mentioned needing to know if a motion is repeatable or not. How do founders know if a selling motion is repeatable? It always uh, always starts with data, right? I mean, so you're, you get some, uh, you start to see the same uh, customers coming in, right? It might be in a, uh, you know, a, a similar set of logos, right? That is kind of the, you know, the tip of the iceberg there, right? And then it does come down, you know, is it in a, a certain segment, enterprise, mid-market, SMB, where you're seeing that pattern of customers exist? Is it a certain persona of a buyer that you're breaking through, whether direct or indirect? Uh, you know, for us, a lot of our success has come bottoms up from the developer, where that developer is using it for their personal project. And then when something at work happens, they bring that into work. And they're like, hey, I actually have something that works really well. And it's going to allow us to publish sites faster and improve performance and improve conversion rates and revenue of customers. And then the top, you know, the execs get really excited about that. In other companies, you may find it is just a strategic initiative that's coming top down. You know, for example, it could be compliance or regulatory uh, that is really driving that, you know, tops down uh, more out of the boardroom conversation in that. So really getting into the data to say, okay, keep pulling the string. Okay. I see this customer. I see five of these customers. You know, where did, where was the source of it? 
get into the, uh, the product data. What were the usage? How long did it take? If you have a trial motion, how long did it take from the trial to when it actually, they raised their hand and said, Hey, I want to talk to a sales rat, you know, in those kinds of things. So the sooner you can figure out those and instrument those as a co-founder early, the other aspect is you're trying to try a bunch of different things, but certainly once you get out of 10 million, you're going to start seeing those signals. And then it's a matter of other people. And usually this is the product team, right? That really understands the customer and is tracking that. So let's say that we believe that emotion is repeatable. What goes into figuring out a long-term forecast? So how can I get conviction that the sales number that I'm plugging in for Q4 of 2023 is real? Obviously, at this point, we're feeling we have a repeatable motion for the products and services that are on the truck today. Uh, and we're starting with that known known. We see that's working. We're then going in and understand, okay, you know, where did those lead sources come from before they got to the deal? So what's the marketing motion? What are the channel sources? Is it uh, inbound trials? And again, our, our bottoms up motion is there, is it tops down MQL? And then as you look at, you know, with the marketing team, you know, a lot of times in the early startups, you're just on last touch marketing attribution, or you, you may have first touch marketing attribution, but a lot of times in the early stages for startup founders, they don't have multi-touch attribution, but like pick either the start, pick the end, and then say, okay, where are those key buckets that are driving new pipeline and new leads that are going to the sales team? Once I understand that volume and conversion and can say, okay, actually it's bottoms up. So I need a, I need a big content team, or at least I need to hire external content to, that really is going to continue to pull that inbound motion in. Or if it's more of a director, VP marketing, business line, we don't, CRO, CMO, VP of end sale, it's probably account-based marketing. So we've got named accounts with sales and then the targeting that's happening in marketing as well that we're aligning on there. So can we first get how much new MQLs and pipeline are going to be needed to hit the plan? And then which of those do we feel that we can pour more gas on the fire to accelerate? Then I always like to start looking at what performance improvement can I make between usually the BDRs that are handling those? Just again on this, where can I move the middle a little, you know, and just say, okay, can I get an increase in conversion from MQL to SQL with the lead to the BDR or SDR, whichever you call them internally? And then once it gets to the sales rep, can I start understanding how can I improve that conversion rate, stage one through five on that? Because those are things that I can either put more process around, I can put more training around. As the, the teams mature, they get more confident and comfortable. And so we start building up that plan. So that usually gets to one level and then we still want more, right? Then the CEO is usually like, okay, but I need to grow more. So how do I do that, right? And so then we start with our known unknowns, which is, okay, how do we expand into new markets? Maybe there are new partners that we're looking at. And so one of the things on Pipeline would be indirect funnel. Are there different indirect partners uh, that we would have the ability to go jointly co-sell together and create Pipeline together as part of that? Am I doing field marketing or is it all just online? Certainly everyone is really challenged right now with in-person events. There's been really mixed success. Yeah. If they're pre-pandemic, if there was a connection from that community, we're seeing some of those continue, but still not at the rates they were. New events uh, have been really unsuccessful in a lot of the people I'm connecting with across the board, and they either make them remote only or they're full out canceling them. So I think, uh, especially with the current market conditions, I think budgets are really going to pull back there. Uh, so I think that'll be an interesting part of lead gen in the coming year. And those are some of the things. We think about just on like, okay, how do I build the pipeline? How does that flow through? Where can I improve conversion rates or unit economics, increase ASP, those kinds of things? 
And then what are the new initiatives we're going to go try to do on top of it? Yeah, you covered a lot of interesting things that I think we can dive into. You know, one of them is you're obviously a very like community focused company. I'd love to get an understanding of how you think about the role of like community in understanding your funnel, particularly given that, you know, a lot of companies tend to become more focused on their enterprise selling motion over time. And so the reliance on the community may not be as critical later, but I I guess I'd be curious to get your thoughts on how much that matters. For us, community is so important. You know, as we look at uh, the world of front-end developers, JavaScript developers today, kind of latest reports show there's about 21 million JavaScript developers out there. Uh, we've had, uh, we have about 3.5 million that have been on the platform, signed up for an account. You know, certainly a lot of just personal private projects. It's their own personal blog or site or things like that on our free plan. And so we spent a lot of time on that. Our platform itself isn't open source, but being that it's a front end developer, the all of the different JavaScript frameworks are just so important to our success and who we serve, the developer we serve. And so we're constantly looking to analyze and, and every couple of years, there's a new framework, uh, that's emerging out there and different ones really take off and some come, you know, are a hot spike and then go away. And so we actually invested in, um, inside Netlify, an open source team that really is working upstream with those developers and saying, okay, how do we understand what the market really needs from this framework? And so by the time that a developer is using that framework and, and starts to work with Netlify, it's an amazing experience on the platform. So for us, it's core in everything we do. That's great to know. So do you track growth in the size of your community as one of your core KPIs? Like, How does it influence your belief in your revenue plan? Growth, uh, obviously growth of new signups on, on top of funnel is, is one metric. But then we really say, okay, we kind of break down the usage. You know, there's like a, a tier one, a tier two, a tier three. You do a normal kind of stratification from light user to heavy user. And then we're saying, okay, how active are those users? And we're really trying to understand those segments. And then developers don't want to talk to salespeople, right? That, you yeah. know, so that, that, that we know. So then we're trying to figure out, okay, what can we enable in the product or in the docs or how we're communicating in the communities they're, they're engaging with? And that becomes really important to say, how do we continue to increase adoption when they want to do a lot in a self-service on their own mentality? Okay. Going back to forecasting your revenue plan for the year. I see a lot of companies overweighting their Q4 in their revenue plan. I'm seeing you laugh. So maybe this is something you've seen what? before. That's never happened before. <laughs> right. And like, you know, there's a temptation to do this because, of course, we all know that Q4 tends to be a bigger quarter for real reasons, right? Companies are trying to spend the rest of their budget and like their procurement processes happen then. And sales reps are really motivated to make their quota. But on the other hand, there can also be a temptation to rely too heavily in Q4 because you don't want to disappoint your board, maybe yes. or your company until later. You're trying to defer the disappointment. So how do you know like what is over-reliance on Q4 versus other quarters? A lot of how this is emerging too, and certainly in startups, certainly if you're in the the one to ten and at, you know, if you're in the sub hundred, you really, you know, you're setting an annual plan. But for how fast the market is moving now, you're really looking at these six-month increments. And you're saying, okay, like, especially with the agile development cycle and what's happening in the market and the competitive landscape, you know, the later stage, large companies, of course, they, it's much more predictable for them on, on how they're doing it. But, um, you know, in startup land, you really get aligned around a six month. And so that they, those, those larger Q4s are there as you kind of build up, um, on that. But I think that's the, 
we need to be candid with the boards on like, okay, what is our confidence level? Are we, are, you know, we're 90% confident on first half. And then like, if those, you know, leading indicators and lagging indicators hold, then I'm 85% confident on Q4. But if those come up short, then we're going to have to talk about a change in second half. And I think that's certainly with the headwinds everyone's facing right now in the market. I think that's really the opportunity for founders with their board to be super candid and not just kind of get into that classical, like everything will be great in Q4 and we'll kick that can down the road. So how do you translate your revenue plan into the actual plan for your sales team in terms of how many reps you need, what their quota should be, territory assignment? Yeah, much of it's kind of the classic tops down and bottoms up. So we're kind of like, hey, what do we, what do we believe we need to grow this year for what spend, you know, and that affords a spend envelope based on, you know, the burn ratio uh, that you're in based on, you know, kind of are you up? you know, zero to 10, 10 to 50, 50 to a hundred million. Um, and there's lots of great research out there on kind of, you know, if you're 25th percentile or 75th percentile and where you should be, uh, on that burn ratio, but that creates an envelope and says, okay, we create that tops down plan on here's how much we want to grow based on where we're at in our growth endurance, uh, you know, on that perspective. And then we just start the bottoms up. And so we, um, have the real honest conversation on like, Hey, where is our productivity? per head on new business? Where's our productivity per head on account management? Where's our productivity per head on channel? Or for those companies that have a self-service model, you know, a no touch, how is that going on the, the trial, the conversion rate, you know, as you, as you look at the different stages of that. And, and then we start seeing where the, where the miss is. And so, um, cause there'll always come up to be a gap. You'll always come up short initially. And then that's where the fun starts on like, okay, what are, what are the known unknowns that we're going to try? And so you're building that up. You're, you know, each company may be slightly different, but you know, if you're a mid market, uh, you know, you're usually using a five X ratio, right? On kind of OTE to the quota. Um, you know, so if you're a mid market rep, you know, on average, you're 800 a year. If you're a 800 to a million, if you're an enterprise, you're a million to a million five, depending on the, uh, ASP and the sales cycle of your products or services. Uh, in that nature. And then we're, we're building that up and then we're trying to figure out, okay, are we, and so in the regions, we know we have success in the segments. We know we have success. That's great. That's a lot easier, but then they're, you're usually trying to then like, okay, we're going to go into Europe this year. How long is that going to take? And it always takes longer than right. To find the people to get them, to launch them. Does marketing have air cover that's happening ahead? Normally it's happening at the same time. And so then how are we aligning those quotas so that we don't burn out those teams before they've had a chance to really launch um, as we go through that. And then we're looking at, you know, taking time and hopefully you've got either you've got great sales ops or if you're small, you know, your finance team is really going to step in for you. And you're like, OK, so of a segment of a sales team, uh, what was the ASP? How many days to close? How many units do we need? And really get down to those units. Um, I'm big on units and really understanding like, is the human capable of doing that many deals in a given period? And or if they can do more, how many more leads do we need? Or what do we need in order to do that? Um, and really start breaking down those, the unit economics of that. Um, and that goes then on the account management side. What is, what is our churn? What is our contraction? Uh, what is our upsell? What are those by segment? And then to really gain confidence that like, okay, actually enterprise, I can grow at 30% or SMB, it's 2%, but it's really about protecting the revenue. Uh, and eliminating, you know, reducing churn and contraction. So those are the, but so those get as granular as you can. And then for most SaaS companies now, certainly that are 
uh, have some sort of PLG motion. There's usually, it's just so common that whenever closes in the quarter from your sales team, half of it comes from the prior quarter pipeline and half of it is new. And so that creates a different dynamic, which is what is the pipeline multiple coverage that you need for your team, knowing that in many cases with a lot of SaaS companies right now, that pipeline's not in the funnel on day one of the quarter. And so, you know, that becomes uh, important to understand those dynamics too. Yes. Oh yeah. You've covered so many great things there. You know, one quick question just on the numbers, because you mentioned some really good metrics there. What should you assume in terms of your percentage attainment on average by your reps? You know, setting quotas is one thing, but then you've got to make some assumption around, you know, what percentage of your reps actually attain that quota or, or what percentage overall of the dollars of those combined quotas do they achieve? Yeah. in you know, in aggregate, you're still seeing, you know, if you're kind of planning for uh, you know, 12 to 15% over assignment, at least from an initial starting point, you know, that takes into account some people leaving in the year that, you know, just natural turnover that happens at every company um, that takes into account, maybe you got some new markets or certain segments that didn't perform quite as well, but, you know, can you get to a point where you've got call it 60% of the team greater than 80% attainment that way you've got a strong, healthy culture of success, you know, and then are you, you know, can you get to, you know, somewhere between 30 to 40% over a hundred. There's lots of statistics out there that say 60% over a hundred. When you really dive into companies, I rarely see 60% of the teams attaining over a hundred on that front. But um, I know there's lots of research out there on that. So um, that's how, you know, how do you create your culture of success in your sales and marketing teams? Again, it's those targets. And, and then how do you create stretch tools inside of that? I think that's where the art comes in with the science of setting quotas and targets. Because you set it too high out of the gate in Q1 and then you fall on your face, it makes for a long year. Yes, for sure. You mentioned earlier account expansion as being a potential part of the revenue waterfall, which totally makes sense to me. Net dollar retention can be very difficult to forecast. I think for all sorts of reasons, like for example, in the early days for a startup, they might have introduced really preliminary pricing and then they're easily, you know, upgrading customers to larger ACVs over time. But then on the other hand, as you become more mature as a company, you might have a product that you can now sell enterprise-wide. And so maybe in other ways, like expansion as an opportunity might be greater as you grow. So how do you think about forecasting it and making it part of that waterfall? Great question. And again, back to in the earlier stage companies, partnering with your finance team or the product team, which is where is that expansion coming from? Is it becoming because you're getting so many companies have seat-based pricing or, or you know, some unit-based consumption pricing. Are you actually getting more volume or is your actual net dollar expansion, as you said, coming from, you know, the seat price was originally $39 and now it's $99. We're not actually getting more penetration into the account. We're just getting, you know, more wallet share from that single seat or that single unit economic because that can really hide repeatable success. Because then as you get within a two-year period or something, you'll have maxed that out and you'll hit a ceiling. And then do you actually have the repeatable land and expand motion in play? And so that's a, that's an easy one to get not tricked by, but a little uh, can create a challenging growth if you're not really thinking about, okay, what really drove the net dollar expansion? You know, and are we, are we expanding across the company? Are we expanding in total addressable size? Uh, and those answers are usually also different by segment, as you think about that. And then are you also a single product company or a multi-product company as part of that? And then if you're multi-product, great, because that can change some of the uh, the acceleration. 
switching gears a bit, I know that annual planning can be especially stressful this year because there's so much uncertainty in the macroeconomic environment. There's this big question as to whether companies are cutting their software budgets. And so it, with uncertainty around where interest rates will go, where inflation will go, I think people are just wondering, how can I create an annual plan now? Especially startups, which are used to thinking a little bit more on a shorter term basis, thinking a little bit more iteratively. Do you have any recommendations for how companies can get comfortable setting an annual plan? Yeah, we've been talking about that a lot internally as well. And certainly within the networks uh, of the other, you know, execs that are, are planning right now. And I, I think the biggest one right now, and certainly with the board, is getting comfortable with your board around just the transparency again of here are the known knowns. Here's where we feel we have a repeatable go-to-market motion, a repeatable R&D product launch motion. Here's what that looks like for the year. And these are our known knowns. And either we can do more of that or we can expand to new geographies, et cetera. And then here are the known unknowns. Because you're not going to go in and just say, hey, I'm going to build a plan on the known knowns because you're not going to, that's not going to get you to the goal that we all want, which yeah. is why we love this space, which is just amazing companies, great products, solving problems for customers and growing really fast, right? And so that's where we're really spending time with the board. Here are the known knowns. Here are the initiatives for the known unknowns. And we're really going to have tight KPIs on what are those leading indicators that say, yep, keep going or not. And then here are new things. And I think that's really the, just really being aligned with the board on what are those two, two groupings. And then what are your key leading indicator that says, yep, release more funds, keep doing it. Or actually maybe let's be a little more cash conscious because right now efficient growth for sure has trumped growth at all costs. And so it's got to be in that mind. Uh, how are we preserving cash? How are we taking care of our teams and our customers and our company? I love how you described your approach to the known unknowns in terms of very carefully monitoring the leading indicators that you could invest more or turn off the experiment, depending on how things are going. I see companies sometimes struggle as they get to like, a, you know, the sort of the growth stage or, or middle stage of startups to set targets for like kind of moonshots, which might be some version of what you're describing with these known unknowns, like they're big areas of innovation and they're totally new. It's like a startup unto itself in some cases. And you're trying to figure out, all right, like we need to set a number around this. But at the same time, people internally may not be comfortable taking on that number because they're like, am I going to be fired if this experiment doesn't work out? So how do you get comfortable actually like picking a number that defines success and then like holding people accountable for it? Some of those, if they're on the moonshot, like putting a number on it is almost setting yourself up for failure. You've got to break it down into what is the work that has to be achieved that someone can totally lean into and not feel like they can miss, but they're not going to get fired. So like, did the customer adopt this product? And what is the outcome that we want to see in this next three weeks that would tell us that, yes, now let's keep going and do more. And now let's keep going. So that really in this, we've got to just break it down so people can just like um, uh, wildly go after it, but not feel that it's like something that's going to take three, four, five months. And then we come out on the other end and it was wasteful. We see it in our hackathons. What do we give? Well, we run internal hackathons and we give teams little guidance, but dedicated time and a week to get something done. They come out with amazing things. But then on the other hand, we're like, this initiative has to drive X million dollars this year. It's going to take four months to roll out and we trade all these checkpoints. And then it always comes out and, you know, and it seems like it always misses, right? Because we put too much constraint around it. So how do you get a few set of people very motivated 
on what is the smallest increment of success that we can define and then continue to green line that or if it's not, shut it down, move on to the map. My recommendation there is if it's the moonshot unknown attaching revenue, it's probably the mistake in the first place. Great advice. Love the idea of the hackathon as well. I think that's such a great example. And we were like, because we were just like, how do we get this uh, more every day from, you know, just all of the groups innovating faster and faster. And sometimes, you know, if it's too nebulous and too far away to the return, that almost kind of creates the problem in itself. Break it down. It's simple. Great uh, quick wins. I think a lot of companies are doing their best to adapt to 2022 versus 2021. In 2021, their boards might have been totally fine with them spending as much as they wanted. In 2022, it's a different kind of direction that they're getting from their board members. What would you say to a company that has a really important innovation that they believe is critical to their strategic positioning in the future to, you know, becoming a hundred million dollar error plus company, you know, growing at 80%, you know, but it would require a lot of cash burn next year. What do you do in that situation? A lot of companies are going through this, uh, this right now, right? We're in the season of that, right? So they're figuring out, you know, where, where are those big bets? And so there's the strategic, like, do you have the solid strategic plan of how this is going to accelerate growth? But I think you also have to say, it can't just be all strategy, right? It's got to be like, okay, what can we get in a short amount of time that will accelerate what one of our other known knowns and can it accelerate back to get us some incremental revenue along the way versus just some tangent? Because right now, if it's not kind of adjacent and accelerating, it's tough right now knowing that a few companies are raising, right? You're really looking at how to extend your cash of this and, and cash preservation. So really kind of have to double double check, is that the right time for the moonshot of something really strategic if it doesn't have some overlap uh, to what are the current working levers of growth? Great advice. This is an awesome conversation. Thank you so much, Marcus. Allison, happy to be here. Always great to spend time with you. 